Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is... Joy. And we've got a few things just before we get into this week's uh, episode topic, and it's my turn this week, but I'm not going to reveal it at this juncture. I am going to do, at the very beginning of this episode, maybe this is a No Name Music Cast first... Uh, given the fact that most people know I'm not really a fan of the medium of film, I am going to do a very quick Ghostbusters Afterlife film review. Now, Joy, <laughs> are you, I take it you're aware of this. I am, and I saw some Instagram posts and posts from you and Hannah, so I have an idea of maybe what you're going to say. Okay. Now, now I, I should ask, before I go into it, I should ask, are you a fan of Ghostbusters in general? Yes, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a super fan, but I feel like I would put you more of the super fan, right? But I've watched plenty of them and I like them. Okay, so um, so obviously there was Ghostbusters 1, which was in 1984. And I think the sequel, Ghostbusters 2, I think that was 88, 89, something like that. The first one, as previously discussed, is the definitive article. Ghostbusters 2 is... it. Yeah, apparently even Bill Murray was not that much into it when he was filming it. Which kind of shows on screen, I think. It does. And the plot's a bit wishy-washy. And it's a whole thing with the Statue of Liberty walking across the Hudson. And it, yeah. it's, it's not good. The first one is what you want. But then, they came, in 2016, they came out with a reboot, all-female reboot, called Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever seen that? Yes. And what did you think of that? It was Okay. I wouldn't. There were parts of it that were funny, but it also did that kind of classic show you all the funny parts in every trailer. So it didn't become that funny when I watched it. And the story plot was a little choppy. Um, I wasn't any better than any of the others, but I'm not like it wasn't a great movie. It was just okay for me. Yeah, I, I've never seen it. I've only ever seen trailers and other clips of it. And I, yeah. and I mean, I, I'm not one of these people that are like, oh, no, it's a female thing and it's terrible. No, I, it's just the casting, the casting decision on this film is irrelevant. I just feel it was a reboot remake that didn't need to be made. Yeah, I mean, like I said, parts of it were funny. Most of the funny parts you got from the trailer and the rest was just kind of filler. Wasn't yeah. like anything that I'd go out of my way to watch again. And and it seems to me that the uh, the fan community, at least the progressive fan community, were of the same opinion. They were like, yeah, you know, casting whatever, but you, you've made you've remade something great, and it's not as good as the original. Yeah, I could agree with that. Okay, so Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm not going to spoil the plot because I'm sure there were some of our listeners have yet to see it, um, but it follows the. Star Wars reboot playbook in so much as it has some of the original cast in it. It follows some of the original story to some degree. Mm -hmm. And yet it also introduces new characters and new scenarios. And I can't wait for it to come out on, as they say, home video. I can't wait to get the VHS (laughs) tape of it. (laughs) Lord. Because as I was watching it in the cinema, that there's you know little split screens, split screen, split, split second stuff of like, oh that's a and oh Lord, that's that, and this little is Easter it. eggs, yeah. And there's so many in it. And Adam Savage from the MythBusters visited the set, and there's a video <laughs> up on YouTube of him visiting one of the sets in it, and they're going yeah. through all those little things that are in it. And I was like, oh look at that, it's one of them, and it's one of them, and it's one of them, and one of them. So I can't <laughs> wait to do it, but. I will say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not one to watch too many films, as you know, and certainly new films is not something that um, I enjoy. I like much like I like the first Star Wars remake. And then when they went down the line with the other ones, it kind of lost the plot and I completely lost interest in it. But I found I felt with this, they did did it for the fans is and it sort of as I said it's it's good. And it, it calls back to the old film, but at the same time, it's its own thing. So my my um, my scoring out of five would be a solid four and a half stars out of five. I didn't walk out of it thinking, wow, that's the best thing I've ever seen. But I enjoyed it. And I think it you know ticked all the boxes I was expecting. It's a pretty good score, Tim. Yeah, it's a pretty good score. There, there we go. So that may be the, the one and only ever 
vague film review that we ever do because <laughs> I, I i don't see myself going to any more films anytime soon the last film i saw before that was elton john's rocket man and then the one before that was the bohemian rhapsody film both were great though yeah they both were and in fact i would say that the elton john rocket man was significantly better than bohemian rhapsody however my um, biases of lo- loving Queen <laughs> probably made me enjoy the Queen film more. But I think if you objectively look at the two, I think Rocket Man was a better piece. For me, Rocket Man was better. Yeah, and I, as I said, I, I, I like that. I saw Rocket Man once in the theater, and I saw the Queen film three times. I mean, that's fair. And I mean, I liked both of them. Don't get me wrong. I just thought, and like the artistry and the, the way they filmed it, and like the camera works and stuff like that, were so interesting in Rocket Man. Um, and I don't know that they had that as much in Bohemian Rhapsody, where he's more just like tell a story. So I think that kind of made a difference. Artistically wise, I liked Rocket Man better. Yeah, and plus Rocket Man was also sort of a semi-musical because it had those musical set pieces and stuff like that. And yeah, the, and the set like, was nice. Yeah, and like you say, the, the Queen film was basically just a... Biopic. Yeah, that kind of thing. Not to insult them, and I mean that, but both of them were good. It's just if I were going to watch another one again, I'd probably watch Rocket Man first. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I have another thing for you. I've got, I've got many, many vaguely music related things for you. So the saga of the ABBA Voyage box set has come to its conclusion today. So <laughs> as many of you know, I ordered the ABBA Voyage album in the deluxe box set edition and it came two weeks after release date. Two, I think it was over two weeks after release date. So the hysteria of the new album coming out was already lost because everyone was going, yeah, this is the best thing ever. And I love ABBA and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, where's my box set coming? Come on, ABBA, sort it out. So anyway, it comes and it's the, this deluxe box set was incredibly cheaply made and it was crushed and it was torn. And I was a little disappointed. So I complained to ABBA. I said, Benny, Bjorn, Annie Fried, <laughs> Agnetha, I'm like seventh removed from your band, so you should listen yeah, to me. Yeah, I really. effectively played in your band back in the day. What's going on? Why are you sending me substandard product? And they emailed me back and they said, you will uh, be refunded. And today they sent me my money back, my almost $30 I paid for this box set, and they never asked for the product back. Wow. Well, at least they made it right, Tim. They did make it right, and then I ordered a regular copy from Amazon, which turned up today. So this is the end of the ABBA voyage <laughs> voyage for me. I was say, they took you on a voyage. Exactly. And I have it on good authority that this deluxe box set, which are the, where the box is a bit crushed, may be being gifted to a <laughs> podcast host who I uh, do a podcast <laughs> with yeah, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. <laughs> So she sounds, or he, sounds very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and that person said to me, yeah, I'd love to have that box set, and I don't really mind that the corner's crushed. So no. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we are. Okay. So that's just a couple of, you know, topics I had swilling around in my mind that I wanted to bring to the, uh, to, to the listeners of our podcast. So we have been doing Tip of the Day, and we have yet to receive a jingle for Tip of the Day, Phil. And... Um, so I'm handing this one over to Joy to give me her tip of the day. Mine was, it's kind of random, but it's the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking of tips of the day. And probably because I made spaghetti sauce the other day. If you tend to suffer from like acid reflux or things like that, when you're making like a spaghetti sauce, Mm -hmm. they recommend putting sugar in because it, you know, affects the alkaline levels or whatever and reduces the pH. But there's actually something better you can do. Sugar, some people don't like the way sugar, I don't like adding sugar to my pasta sauce. I don't like the flavor change. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can actually add is baking soda. So oh. baking soda does it without causing that sugar flavor, and it actually reduces the pH better. There's would my tip. Look, would you look at that? And in fact, bake, baking soda is uh, has, has multiple uses. Mm-hmm. I, I can extrapolate the baking soda thing. If you have like a metal cup that you drink tea or coffee out of and it stains the inside, because I have like a, I actually have a SpaceX flask at work, which I put my mm. hot tea in. And over time, the, the tanning in the tea stains the, um, stains the metal. So I if you fill it up like with, that. 
yeah, if you fill it up with hot water and put a bit of baking soda in there and leave it overnight, it does actually clean it off. It can also help if you're trying to, if you've like box dyed your hair or you have like a certain colors of dye and hair are really hard to get out or if your hair is really porous and it takes the color. If you're trying to, if you don't want to bleach immediately, because, you know, bleaching is really harsh on the mm-hmm. hair. Some people will mix like baking soda. Um, I want to say like lime or living. It's something with like a um, vitamin C. So baking mm-hmm. soda and vitamin C, they're vitamin C caplets too. And it can help um, remove color from your hair. I didn't know that. I have done hair color and <laughs> training, believe it or not. I used to, I used to work at Superdrug, and for you bingo card people out there, guess where that was? That was in Hounslow. And I I had once sat through. I think it was a couple of trainings on hair colorant. So I'm aware of like wash in, wash out, semi permanent, fully permanent bleaching. Demi permanent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I know all that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm fully hair colorant trained. Well, here you go, Tim. Here's something we have slightly in common did you know that i went to cosmetology school and was a cosmetologist in a previous life i did not know that would you look at that (laughs) never used it for anything because it's too expensive and i made no money and then i went to college but i did i was mostly i mostly did nails but i had to take some classes in um because like i can do like full acrylic nail sets and stuff i've done it on myself plenty um and then i took some classes in color and some classes in cutting and yeah Technically, I was a licensed cosmetologist once. That, that's fantastic. I, I was licensed in nothing other than I saw a VHS video in the break room on two occasions, <laughs> and then and then supposedly was told to make sure people bought more hair colorant. That, that's oh, you're the reason why cosmetologists are always doing color corrections. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what can I say? I worked in a place that was like CVS, and it yeah. was. They did various trainings, but for some reason, the hair color at one sticks out in my brain, and I don't know why. Because it's random. <laughs> All right, what's your tip, Sam? Okay, my tip of the day, and this this is actually incredibly topical, topical of about, ooh, 25 minutes ago. So my tip of the day is if you live in a community that has an HOA, and for our friends in England, an HOA is a homeowners association, and it's like a service charge that you you pay. So it's very common in the United States that if you live in a townhouse, which is like a terrace house, or if you live in a condo, like flats, you know, that kind of thing, that you will have an HOA. And typically what they're doing is they're cutting your grass, they're clearing away snow and ice. They're, sometimes they'll fix the roof if that's part of your thing, or sometimes they'll fix the, you know, the out, outside lights in the community and that kind of stuff. So where we live has that. So my tip of the day is if you live in a community like that and it has an HOA and you somehow went to the meeting once three years ago just because you was curious and then you, they begged you to join the HOA board because no one wanted to do it and then you sort of went, oh, okay, then all right, I'll do it and then get dragged into these meetings, you will find out that there's typically one person who's really excited about it and spends all day researching solar lights and mm-hmm. drainage and has some kind of hookup with the local council who can <laughs> re water and stuff like that <laughs> and then the net the net result of these meetings is that whatever he's he or she has decided will probably happen anyway and then the guy no one else cares yeah and then the, whoever <laughs> from the management company is over this will then probably tell you you need to put the dues up because fiscal year 2025 you'll be so much in debt and then you'll put the dues up and then you just have the next meeting the next time so my tip of the day is if you're in an HOA, just accept the fact that the Jews are going to go up every year and just don't get involved in it. Well, to be fair, some HOA, you're lucky because at least it doesn't sound like you have that one lady who spends all her time telling people what um, stone animal type statue they can put in their front yard or something. No, I, I mean, it, it must be said that to, to that degree, we don't have anyone like that. A lot uh, of it, HOAs do, though. Yeah, because I know, I know, like, if you live in a particularly upscale community, that they'll make sure that your grass is a certain length. And, you know, there's, there's lots Housing of things. values. Yeah, and, you know, you can't park your car on the road and you can't this. and you, it's, Tim's it's, night um, license plate would have to be removed because <laughs> oh, it did the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, 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 that kind of stuff. And, you, and, you know, you can't illuminate your tree outside your house and... See, I have a Buddha statue in my garden and then I have a little owl 
and have a little frog and a couple other statues, they would have booted me out. Buddha would have definitely got the boot. <laughs> I, th- I think in our community, you can't have flags. I think you can have an American flag. Hmm. But like if you, if you have a sports team flag or um, some kind of flag, maybe so with some a... turf war that's happened in the past. They <laughs> yeah. <had to> <laughs> yeah. Like, it, like if you have a political flag or if you have some kind of, uh, I don't know, associational type thing, you're not allowed to put that up. But um, <laughs> I think that's about the only thing. And nobody seems to really care about that too much. But yeah, that, that, that's, that's my tip. If, if, you, if you end up in that world, please just completely steer clear of it because that's what's going to happen. Sounds like when you're at meetings at work too, like everybody else is ready to get off the call and there's one person who's dying to hold you (laughs) off. Anyway. All right, Tim, on to the topic. (laughs) On to the topic. Okay. So this week I decided to, I've I've been looking through the other episodes that we've done. It's, It's my pick. And there seems to be a trend of me embracing music from, you know, Let's have a look. Oh, about 35 years ago from that magical 80s decade. So I thought I would buck the trend a little bit. Mm. And this week I thought I would reach back all the way to the early 2000s and, you know, almost up to the current. The early aughts. Yeah. And I thought this week I would discuss the music of Katy Perry. Oh, good choice. So I'm not a big fan of contemporary pop music really however the music of katy perry resonates with me not so much her later stuff and there's a couple of her later albums which i'll come on to which in fact i'm not even really familiar with at all but certainly Mm -hmm. from the beginning of her career all the way up to uh, 20 where are we 2015 that kind of time i don't know that i i feel it was it's very well written very well produced pop music she also, though, I don't know how much you know about her story. Her parents were uberly religious and mm-hmm. she was kind of a little bit of a wild child. Um, but like if you look at old school Katy Perry, when she used to perform, let's say open mic nights or something like that, she's very talented. Like she it would just be her, her guitar. It was very simple, um, very. You could tell that she was she had a real love for that side of the music. So watching early Katy Perry videos are quite interesting compared to what you see of her now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and certainly, I rem- I think I first became aware of her when she was performing on those Warped tours with her band. Mm-hmm. I used to go to Warped tour back in the day. Did you ever see? Did you ever see Katy Perry? She was never at any of the ones that I went to. Mom was always just like Good Charlotte, Bowling for Soup, all those early pop pop bands. But um, I mean, I don't know why. Maybe I just missed the tour she was on. But she, I definitely remember her headlighting some of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so I'm just going to make some, some quick uh, Perry facts. She, her name is not Perry. Her name is, is Catherine Elizabeth Hudson. Um, apparently, Perry is her mother's maiden name, and she decided to adopt that as a uh, stage name. She's born on October 25th, 1984. Um, like you say, she, she sang in church during her childhood, and she tried to pursue a career in gospel music as a teenager, and then that, that didn't really work out too too well she did she signed a record deal and then she put out a debut studio album that was called katie hudson in 2001 and it was not successful at all i have a copy of this album and it sounds like early 2000s pop music but with not a great deal of direction involved i don't know if you've ever heard that no but i kind of get what you're kind of alluding to yeah so so she was lucky that she had a second shot because a lot of artists don't get a second shot of this stuff. You know, you, you put out your, your your debut album and especially these days when there doesn't seem to be as much money in, in investing in artists. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in, you're out, you're done. And she would have gone off to be just completely obscure. But um, later on, she started working with Glenn Ballard. Of, well, she worked with a number of producers initially, but Glenn Ballard was one of the main ones. And Glenn Ballard, as you know, was um, responsible with Alanis Morissette for Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, I think we even talked about him once before on another episode. Ex- exactly. So uh, from from there, she um, she released the album Teenage Dream, and when we're gonna we're gonna come through. Um, well, actually, it was one of the boys, and then it was Teenage Dream. One of the boys was the first album that she came with. Sorry, I got mixed up a little bit there. Anyhow, so she, she's had a very popular um, a career, um, and apparently 
all of her albums have surpassed one billion streams on uh, Spotify. That doesn't surprise me. She's one of those people that when she puts out a song and it's really popular, it's all you hear for the next 70 years. How many times have we heard? Um, do you ever feel like a plastic bag blowing through the wind? <laughs> <laughs> and also about Katy Perry, one other interesting thing is that she performed at the Super Bowl halftime show. Did, have you have you seen that? Um, yes. Left Shark. <laughs> the only part that mattered because <laughs> that would have been me on stage i guarantee you that it would have held over my head for the next six years and then but the only problem the only thing that would have been different for me is somehow i would have fell over at the end if i was a left shark <laughs> well i remember i remember i actually tuned into that super bowl um to watch specifically watch Katy perry <laughs> yeah. and and the, the, the funny thing was, is like all the Twitter noise that was going on at the same time. And people were saying, what's this annoying football match getting in the way of my Katy Perry concert? <laughs> well, did you ever hear what Left Shark had to say about it? No. <laughs> As you can imagine, he was one of her backup dancers. And he's, I think at some point he comes out not in the shark costume, but he couldn't hear in the big shark costume, something about he couldn't hear the music. So he was, you know, a few beats off the entire time or whatever. And he says, he's like, I'm sorry. I was wearing a giant shark costume. Give me a break here. <laughs> but wouldn't you think, I mean, there, there is a whole behind the scenes documentary about the Katy Perry um, halftime concert. And I, yeah. I don't know if you, you ever have you ever seen that too? Yeah. Um, it seems like something I would have seen, but I don't know off the top of my head. I've watched a few documentaries on her, but I think one was more on her teenage dream, like actual concert tours, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's one, I think it was on HBO or something like that, but it goes through the whole of that Super Bowl thing, you know, from early rehearsals to the, you know, to uh, the music and the, all the uh, um, production and all that kind of stuff. It's actually pretty, in, even if you don't like Katy Perry, it's pretty interesting to see the amount of time and effort that goes into like a 13 minute show. Yeah. Cause it's always strikes me like with the Super Bowl, how like you've got a football match and then they have like three minutes or something while a commercial break is running to set this thing up. And of course, everything has to be perfect. The lights have to mm -hmm. be perfect. The sound has to be perfect. Every piece of staging has to be in the right place. And then, you know, they come back from the commercial and boom, it starts and they, and they rehearse it if not dozens, hundreds of times to get it exactly right. Yeah. I can only imagine though. And then like stadium shows sound is so we've talked about like one of the problems is like whenever you're in a big like stadium, how the sound can revert back at you and stuff. And you get that kind of weird kind of echoey type thing going on and different things like that. Mm -hmm. So I just, I can't imagine having to comp having to take all that into account. Um, also, you know, well, another thing though, I did not, what other thing left shark said was it wasn't set choreography, Tim, it was freestyle choreography. So they were allowed to embody their own characters. Exactly. Left Shark's, he, um, thought, <laughs> that's what he just had to say. <laughs> he, he, left shark was feeling loose and free that day. He, he was, he was feeling the vibe of the Super Bowl, and he was just, <laughs> I, in fact, in fact, on my guitar case, I have a left shark sticker. I think Left Shark really was the um, that of all like you know all the we could talk about that could be an episode all the weird Super Bowl incidences over the years with halftime shows because there's tons of them. Oh, um, <laughs> but I'll write that down in a future episode, maybe come January or something. But yeah, Left Shark took the cake on that. But her show, her halftime show was quite good. And she was one of the ones that I think sound wise had good sound because there's some of them that they just the sound is not great. Yeah, I think typically with the Super Bowl halftime shows, they, they are she's live singing and a lot of them do live sing. But I think the backing track is mm -hmm. done to a track, sadly. And I think a lot of that comes down to just the logistics of mixing, mixing a live band. Wasn't it the Red Hot Chili Peppers that didn't like that they like it was obvious that like Flea and others weren't actually playing? Was that the yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers? I, yeah, I think it was. Wasn't that with um... there was a th another person who was singing with them? Um, I can't. Oh. I can't remember. But I, I know the performance that you. Um, 
that you you speak of. There's also when Bruce Springsteen did it. I think the E Street Band. I think they were they weren't playing. I think it was just done to a track. And but Bruce was singing live. And there's a great scene where Bruce decides to slide along the stage on his knees, and he slides and he slides and he slides, and he bashes into a mic stand creating what we would say on this PG podcast is a gentleman's injury. And mm. the look on his face of pain, sheer immediate pain, but at the same time being a professional and knowing there's like 1.2 <laughs> billion people watching him or something, it's worth it just for that look of his face. <laughs> yeah. So I Googled it. Um, the Red Hot Ch- is Bruno Mars. That's who. And ah, the Hooligan band they played. But yeah, it was. That's the one that everybody was like, if you look, they didn't. Most of the time, generally, artists can do a good job at like miming their instruments. Mm-hmm. But like Flea specifically, when they like fly, when they zoom in, it's like, I mean, it's like his fingers aren't even on the strings. It's just really bad. Sure. I mean, I mean, to some degree, I get that because you're a live musician and you play live and that's what you do. But when you sign up to do the Super Bowl, whether you, you know, that is the gig. It's like, okay, you're going to have all this exposure. You're going to be this, you know, you're you're promoting whatever record, you know, that that's great. However, Mr. Flea, this is the deal. If if you want to sign up to this, this is how it works. There's no there's no point making a statement with this. And I am going to come to the one of the I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. I understand musicians and wanting to perform live, but there are times where it could be like you, we were just talking about, you're talking about all that goes into making that studio sound the way it's supposed to that stadium. Mm-hmm. And there are times where for the audience, for reasons of the audience and that many people watching, you have to use a backing track or it's just going to sound terrible. There are times when backing tracks or even partial backing tracks and things of that nature are important to make the sound you want to make. And the Super Bowl is one of those times that I get it. It could be annoying and you want to play live. I understand, but I understand why they would do that too. Yeah. And I, and I, can, and I can even tell you, even at this level, I mean, I've done this. I'm not going to tell you which videos it's on, but I, I've done this. So I have a bunch of videos out online, which I've re- I recorded over the lockdown period with various people. Mm-hmm. All of the guitar you hear on those tracks is me played by me live or was it live, but you know, played recorded, in, recorded by me into the computer. There's, there's no, I'm not using any uh, backing tracks or anything. If, if there's a guitar on it, that's me playing it. Mm-hmm. However, when you make these little videos that you see, it is easier from an editing perspective to record your stuff into your computer. And then when you record the video, you play, you put your fingers on the guitar as if you're playing it, but in fact, Mm -hmm. you're playing along to what you've already recorded. And then you mute the sound off the video and then use your pre-recorded audio. I mean, that makes complete sense. And that's kind of, I imagine you're really how most things are done like that. Yeah. And anytime you see like a, um, even at local band level that may have put together a a lockdown video, Mm -hmm. 99 times out of a hundred, that's how it's done because it's just from an editing perspective, it's easier to have the audio in the can and then record the video. And if you're going to send the other person a click track for them to perform to, that's the audio you want to go with whatever they're, you know what I'm saying? Like let's say Tim sends me a guitar track and it's to a click track so I can sing to it. Well, he's going to want to layer that and he doesn't want to play new music that I've already sang over because I've already picked up on the nuances I want to go with that guitar or whatever. So from that perspective, if you're collaborating, it makes sense too. Yeah, I mean, of course, there are instances where you would be performing live in that video. And if it was a live performance, of course, that's how it's done. But kind of these set piece videos, mm-hmm. I mean, like a, like a, I can reveal this now, the um, Freebird video <laughs> that I made with Rough Justice, yeah. it's 50-50. Mm. All the solos that I do at the end when I'm trading off with Mike is the video is exactly what I played. That's me completely straight off. But there's some be- there's some bits at the beginning where I'm just playing rhythm and I'm on the video. My fingers are in the right place. I previously played it, but from an editing perspective, it was easier to do it like that. Yeah, I mean, 
that I mean, that makes general sense. And I mean, from an audience's standpoint, if you're at a big concert, you kind of want to have a good show, especially if you're paying however much it costs to go to the Super Bowl, Tim. I don't want to hear, you know what I mean? Bad guitar because you can't hear drummer over here and vocal screeching at me if we can avoid it. If I just spent hundreds upon hundreds of dollars to go to the Super Bowl halftime show. Exactly. But there you go. But just to wrap up on the uh, as, as we as we almost leave this uh, video editing Super Bowl topic, <laughs> I just want to say one for one thing that's interesting about the Super Bowl halftime performance for Katy Perry. So she had Lenny Kravitz and M- Missy Elliott as special guests on that. Yes. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know who Missy Elliott was. Oh, that breaks my heart. I love <laughs> Missy Elliott. I said oh, to Hannah, sad. I said, who's that? She says, Missy Elliott. I, said, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Anyhow, but the, the the interesting thing was is that Katy Perry's halftime performance had 118.5 million viewers. The football game itself had 114.4 million viewers. <laughs> she had more viewers me. than the actual uh, oh, football game. I I don't care to watch the whole. I sometimes will put it on and it'll play in the background because I like the commercials. But you know the new commercials or whatever. But I, I've 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 tuned into just the halftime show plenty of times before. Last yeah. year with Shakira and J Lo, I just tuned in for just the halftime show. Yeah, I, I think it was the first year I lived in the United States. I decided. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I don't like really like sport at all. It's not anything that interests me. But for the first year I lived here, I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna. I'm buying into the American dream. So the Super Bowl came on. I had my can of uh, pissy like beer and I'm ready to go with the Super Bowl. And I got yeah. about 20 minutes, 25 minutes into it. And I said to Hannah, I said, I'm just going to turn this off. I have no interest in this whatsoever. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think part of the reason people are watching is they don't care about the football. There's just so many pop culture things that happen. Like the year Beyonce was in the halftime show and the lights went out during the stadium halfway through the Super Bowl. And I had to put it on pause because they had no power. Um, <laughs> we could get into the whole Justin Timberlake. Well, we're not going to PG, but that did happen. There's just been so many pop culture things. And I think, was it a Super Bowl commercial that Pepsi did where Michael's hair caught fire? I believe it was. I think that that was that's correct. There's so many pop culture things that have happened among the Super Bowls for years. And actually, I was doing what was I was back. It used to not be. It was only once Pepsi started, like, I think, funding the Super Bowl halftime show that it was like an actual musician. It used to be like many Mickey dancers, you know what I mean? And an orchestra band or something. So it's only been in the last, like, probably since, like, maybe the early 90s that it's been that way. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think one of us needs to do a uh, Super Bowl halftime show wrap-up of, of all this stuff that's gone on. Because, like you say, there's been so many pop culture references that have come from that. Mm-hmm. Even, like, the, the famous 1984 Apple commercial was a Super Bowl yeah. commercial. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. And, I mean... It's just that's why it's so much of a staple in American culture. I think, yeah, there's some people who are diehards about the football, but then there's just other people here to to learn about all that other stuff. Exactly. Okay. so what I've done is I've pulled out um, 10 or so Katy Perry songs, which ones that I like that they're they're, um, that that, that's pretty that's pretty much my criteria. I wasn't going for her greatest (laughs) hits or most popular or most unique or anything. It was just. These are ones that I happen to like. Fair. <laughs> it's my topic and I can do that <laughs> if I want to. <laughs> so we start off with her album of 2008, One of the Boys. And as we discussed, it's not her first album. It's her second album. It's her first album under the name of Katy Perry, not Catherine or Katie Hudson. So the first single she came out with is I've Kissed a Girl. Do you remember when that came out? Okay, so this album, I have very distinct memories because I know I Kissed a Girl, Thinking of You, Hot and Cold, they're all on this album. Yeah, yeah. That was 2008. That was my senior year of high school. So I was in the height of like pop culture at that point because I was 18 years old. And I Kissed a Girl was on every radio station mm-hmm. on repeat for like years it felt like like i mean it ranked up there with like beyonce single ladies or something every time you turn it and i remember like you would turn on the radio it was there i'd be driving home in the car and my mom would be listening to it it was everywhere 
Yeah, I have a distinct memory of this because at the time, Rough Justice, my fabled rock band that I was in <laughs> with my dear friend Paul Summerton, Hog, we had, I think he decided he wanted to not be in Rough Justice anymore, but he wanted to do a duo with me. Okay. So we had a Rough Justice acoustic duo for a while, which was fun while it lasted. And we used to do I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. <laughs> However, the kind of like edginess of that song title is lost when it's a male singer singing yeah. it and he is a larger than life character um, guy with a you know goatee beard, etc. Yeah, I could see that you're losing some nuance there for sure. Exactly, but <laughs> we, I, I have I have played that an acoustic duo before. I mean, it's a great pop hit though. It is, and apparently, when I was researching it, apparently, um, like the LBGTQ plus community didn't much care for the uh, the title or the message. So. They were, were it was because it was kind of like a by curiosity type thing. Yeah, it they, was kind of it was kind of triv- trivializing it, as I think what what, what yes. they said. It's like you Which, know, if you say like if you if you if you're bi, if you're homosexual or whatever, whatever your uh, however you lean, that's cool and that's fine. But it was like almost like trivializing that, and then they were not too into I that. I kind of see now. It's kind of like now that I look back, I see how that could be, you know, perceived that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what's interesting to me, and that song was like one of her first major singles, right? That was probably yeah. what put Katy Perry on the map. Um, is that song falls under? When I think of Katy Perry and I think about the musicality of her, it almost falls under the exact framework or setup or whatever you want to call it of a Madonna hit. Mm-hmm. Katy Perry does the pop hits that kind of those early pop hits were very almost early Madonna kind of sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why it works so well, because it it, it checks all those boxes. Yeah, and I would say the whole of this album, One of the Boys, one thing I like about this album, this is probably my favorite album of hers. Mm-hmm. It's a, it sounds like a band. And in fact, I think it was mm-hmm. one guy, the producer of this album, played most of the instruments on it. Yeah. But it is live drums, live guitar, live bass. And there are, I think there are some samples and there are some keys and stuff like that on it, but it has more of a band sound to it. And it's more like what she was playing when she was doing the warp tours. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. Um, I hear that too. And she, but yeah, I will say that was, that's a great hit. It was it a good is. one to get your name known to, like to put out there as your first major kind of single. Even if she had the one album that was a flop, I think this was a good single to get out there. Absolutely. But I, but the, uh, the song from this album, which is by far my favorite song of hers, and it's still my favorite song of hers. Even even all the rest of the work that she's released, and that mm-hmm. would be waking up in Vegas. I love waking up in Vegas. Waking up in Vegas is such a great song, and it's one of those songs I've had driving along in the car, and I've had to play it three times because it's so good. And the like, just the way it's for, uh, like from the beginning to the end, like you know, she's telling kind of this story, mm-hmm. but the way it's structured is that's probably what I'm getting at. Is the way she structures her songs are so well. And that's why they become hits. But yeah, I've listened to Waking Up in Vegas probably a million times at least. Yeah. And what, one, the thing I like about it the most is the video. The video is fantastic. It, mm-hmm. was, it was filmed in Vegas. It was filmed at the Palms and it was filmed in uh, Fremont Street downtown. Her in and, that big red outfit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and, this sto- and the video shows the story where she comes in like with not a lot of money and they win a load of money and they live big and then they lose it all and they get thrown out of their suite. But it has Penn and Teller in it. Yes, it does. Oh, you're right. Well, that's perfect for Vegas. And I think it has Wayne Newton in it, too. Mm. I think she's good at doing that. I remember her um, last Friday night video. We Mm -hmm. were talking about Kitty G at work and one of the millennials, even though I'm a millennial, but one of the youths didn't know who Kitty G was. And I said, he's the one in the last Friday night video that's played the saxophone. And at the end, the guy from Glee goes, I can't believe your uncle's Kenny G. Outrageous. <laughs> he runs out the door. And I was like, that's Kenny G. And they would have never known who it was, but because he was in the video. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, and I mean, this, this is skipping forward an album, but last Friday night is a great song. Oh, I absolutely adore that song. And there's so much 
The video is great because they're literally in the party. I told you about we talked about the Rebecca Black who did the Friday song is in there playing the Just Dance with her. Um, the guy from Glee is the one at the end. Her parents, everything about that. That song is great, but the music video makes it even better. I listen to it on repeat too. Yeah, it's it's, it's a good song. So just to wrap up, um, one of the boys. I think you mentioned it earlier. It's hot and cold. Yeah. That one was all over the radio, too. And to be fair, I will say of all the songs that she I think I heard I've heard the most, that might be one of the top ones. So that's one that at one point I'm sure I reached burnout levels of because it was everywhere. It's a good song. I've listened to it now, but I'm sure if we went back to 2009, I'd be like, mm, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, sorry, Catherine, we're going to have to turn this one off. <laughs> I know you're making millions upon millions, but I, I'm hot or cold and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and any temperature, any, any temperature will do. Just, it's fine. <laughs> I, bang, I hit my knee on the table, everybody. I just got an injury recording. Le- How? <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is a no-name music cast first. Joy actually has had an injury <laughs> during the recording. <laughs> it's me um, ranting about if I'm hot or cold and I bang my knee on a table. All oh, right. goodness me. Anyhow. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too bad of an injury <laughs> no. for you. It was one of those ones, though, you know, like when you hit your funny boat or you hit your knee and it sends that sting, that tingly feeling? It's like yeah. that. Okay. All right, I lived. What's the next song, Tim? Okay, or next so, album, I guess. Yeah, so we're moving on to Teenage Dream, which was from 2010, and I'm going with the lead track, Teenage Dream. And the reason I'm going with that, once again, I think that's a great, great written pop song. But it was Teenage Dream, I believe, was the Left Shark dancing song. Oh, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when he was I being... forgot until <laughs> you said it. <laughs> now, this album was produced by that Max Martin, right? And like that Max Martin, the guy who was like, so Max Martin, I'm pretty sure, is the one who puts out all the pop hits from Sweden now. Sweden now. And yeah. he learned from that pop dude back in the early 90s or whatever. Yeah, the um, I'm, I'm just looking at the um, thing here. Yeah, that, that would be correct. And she's also worked with a production group called The Matrix. Mm. And the, the production group, The Matrix, they, they're responsible for a lot of Avril Lavigne's early stuff. Interesting. And it's funny that a lot of this songwriting and production does come out of Sweden. I've, I've, heard, I've heard other acts come oh, come out of these uh, these Swedish production, Swedish well, songwriting. in all the modern day music, pop music, it's all this Max. His real name is like Carl Swedenberg, but like he goes, I watched a whole documentary on it. He goes by Max and he was that one guy who died in the early 90s from Sweden that helped with the Baxter Boys and NSYNC was like his mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember his name. I want to say it was like Deco or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So. And once that guy passed away, this Max Martin kind of took over. And I mean, he did like is he did some of the Backstreet Boys at Seek 2. He did Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. I think he's worked with Adele. I mean, just and he's known for being that one who produces pop art after pop art after pop song. Like just he has whatever that algorithm is down to a T. Yeah, it's like, did you ever see that? Th- I mean, it's not pop music, but did you see that thing that was going around a year or so, a year or two ago? And it was like, these are all the country music hits. Mm-hmm. And someone had synced them all up. And then like the first, you know, 30 seconds of every one of those hits was identical. It had the same amount of bars as an intro, the same amount of here. And then the vocal came in here and then the guitar break came in here. And they were all just like all synced up and all identical yeah. it's, like they, it's like they have a template like when i edit mm-hmm. this podcast i have a template where i import the files into all the levels are set i make my edits and i put the bit at the beginning a bit at the end and then you hit render and there you go and it's almost like that that they have these templates set up it's like well mm-hmm. let's put this vocal in here and then the guitar break goes there and then the, the, the thing goes in there and then we as human just like those patterns so you know who monopolized that when she became really famous was lady gaga she admits that when she came out with just dance do you know how long it took her to write that song tim 10 minutes she said she wrote um um what's the one uh bad romance 10 mm-hmm. minutes and it's funny because when she's in um one of those carpool karaoke's with james corden he was like so when you're writing the words down you know how it goes rah rah uh, 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 mm-hmm. roma roma ma gaga ooh la la he's like did you write down do you physically write down rah rah uh, uh, and show it to the person they think you're crazy and she's like well first of all i make the decisions they don't but second of all it's romance 
ooh la la gaga. That's what it's saying. It's romance, but it's the syllable spelled out. Hmm. And so she was able to make that really fun rhythm just based off the rest of the words of the song. Do you know what that's like? So when I was in the guilty party with Barry Browning, who is uh, Lee Aaron's dad, we <laughs> used to do Land of a Thousand Dances. You know, song, nah, yeah. nah, 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 mm-hmm. that song. He, I love that song. He's 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 a, an energetic and charismatic frontman and singer. Barry, he's he's a great frontman, especially in like a party band, function band context. Gotcha. But he does he he struggles to remember lyrics. Some singers can <laughs> you know put all the lyrics in their head and never have to worry about it. Barry's one of these people who needs that crutch of having the lyrics up. And he and these days he may have an iPad or some kind of tablet or something. But when I was playing with him, he had a book. <laughs> And we used to we used to do this whole thing of Land of a Thousand Dances where we get people on stage and then you bring it down and then you put the mic in their face and they go no 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 no. But he had these he had the lyrics for that song and he had all the nars written out and he wasn't just like <laughs> na 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 etc. They were all everyone was written out and guy who I was in the band with Jules at the time picked up on this. I'd never really noticed. And then when he wasn't looking, we looked at the Nars and sung it and they were all completely correct. <laughs> cause the, by the syllable, cause you would want to do, cause you know, that's all goes. So I see how, cause you would do na 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 na, Like you would have to emphasize. That's kind of, I mean, Charlie, I've said many times, my husband does not know the lyrics to any song. Like you could, he could hear it a thousand times. And I'd be like, sometimes I'll be like, woolly in the car and I'll be like, what did you just say? What did you think that's saying? And I'm like, and then I'm the complete opposite and like song lyrics stick in my brain, like glue. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> but there we are. But, but back, <laughs> back to uh, Miss Perry. So another track from Teenage Dream, which I really enjoy is California Girls. And that song, of course, has a cameo appearance appearance from Snoop Dogg doing a little uh, little rap bit in the middle. Because he's all about his California. So I love that. The video, once again, was iconic um, because, you know, it's the Candyland thing. And she's walking around with all the different costumes and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And then you've got Snoop Dogg, which is like the Candyland King kind of thing going on. His exactly. little throne. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was like, when I was last at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was five or six years ago, they had Katie's outfit from that video at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That would have been such a fun. Well, that whole that whole stage show for that album is like that. Like a lot of them were like candy food type thing she did like a whole thing with like candy themes which was pretty cool so if you've ever seen them live and on that particular stage show she used to do a version of whitney houston's um i want to dance with somebody oh, wow. which was really good it was really good it was really fun it was upbeat and they were all dressed as candy but i'll find the video and post it on the facebook um but that's the one i watched the documentary on that time earlier i watched the whole thing behind the scenes on that one um but I would have the person whoever did all the stage clothes and all that stuff for that whole um, it had to be really fun. Honestly, I love whenever the little um, Girl Scout looking thing, girls are walking by and they take a bite out of the gingerbread man. But he's like alive. And he's like, ah! <laughs> you know, talk about the girl like leans over, and bites into the gingerbread man, but he's kind of alive. So he's like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just the scene I remember from the video. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we should we should post that video because it is fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and just clo- and just closing out the um, Teenage Dream album is the song Firework. Now, Firework is um, a great track, but also that was one of the tracks that she did at the Super Bowl halftime performance where she went up on like some kind of high wire type affair and then was around the edge of the stadium doing firework with like fireworks coming out the back of her launch pad spaceship type thing she had mm-hmm. and as she was doing all the you know, all these fireworks were going off the top of the stadium i mean that would be cool whoever did the pyrotechnics but i also remember this is not related that's also remember how she opened it on the giant tiger lion thing yeah roar? When, yeah i was coming on to roar in fact so um, yeah <laughs> Spo- spoiler alert everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i remember that was her i liked her halftime show a lot actually Yep. And then like, I will say though, firework is another one that I would put, I think I heard it. Wow. I mean, that song had to be, would you agree that that was probably one of her most played songs and they used it like everything? 
Yeah, I mean, I think nearly all of the songs that I've mentioned so far are ones yeah. you just... I mean, the record company must have invested a lot of money in her and, and the promotion because you you couldn't escape this stuff. I, as, as I said, I, I, I don't really listen to Top 40 radio at all. Um, I don't seek this stuff out, particularly like this kind of music, but this stuff got through to me and it was good enough that I decided, actually, Katie, this. This, is, this is good music. And if you're listening, Katy Perry, we'll have you on next week. <laughs> well, she's not she's not touring at the moment. She she became a mother not that long ago. She's, yeah, her um, and Orlando Bloom are hanging out at home. <laughs> exactly. Her and Orlando are just you know chilling. I mean, if she's got With the twins or don't they have twins? No, it's just one. <laughs> I think they just have one kid. Why did I think twins for a minute? But you're right. It's just one. Yeah, if, if she's got Daisy four. is her daughter's name. Da- Daisy, Daisy Bloom. I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure the first name is Daisy. I mean, da- Daisy. I'm not judging. Daisy Bloom is fine. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. So you know what that makes you think of? There's a Family Guy joke, and he's like, "Wait a second, Alicia Keys. She's a pianist. There's no way her last name is really Keys." It's like, <laughs> like it dawns on him in Family Guy. He goes, wait, I want to be Johnny Guitar. <laughs> I'm changing my name to Johnny Guitar. <laughs> well, I know there's a, there's a guitarist called Johnny Guitar Watson, but I, that's not his real middle name. <laughs> yeah, it was just funny because out of nowhere, he's thinking, he's like, there's no way her last name is Keys, and she happened to become a piano player. She had to. <laughs> and they're, everybody's staring at him like, yes, this is a fake name. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's a rock and roll stage name. That, that's, that's a well-trodden path. Tim's going to change his name to Tim Guitar. <laughs> no, it'd be Knight. Tim Knight. <laughs> well, my middle, na- my middle name is Michael, I'm just saying. For real. <laughs> that's funny. I would laugh, though, if like if I next the next show I see just Tim Michael Knight dash guitar. <laughs> I, I, I want that to be your name. I may have said this before, and this 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 happened after the fact and it was too late. So I became an American citizen a number of years ago. And when you become a citizen, you get a one shot deal of changing your name for free, because otherwise you have to go through a lawyer or you have to go through a whole process and there's money. And, you know, it's it's possible. People do it all the time. But it's it's a. Uh, there's Not a process you have to follow to do that if if you want to do it. And when you become an American citizen on the forms that you fill in when you go through that process, it allows you to change your name. And it comes back from those days of Ellis Island where people would come from other countries and wanted to Americanize their their names to fit in better with society or whatever that if that was deemed what was important at the time. And a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of people did that. So it, it harks back to those days. So a number of years after I became an American citizen, I was just thinking about nothing in particular like I do. And I thought I could have given myself another <laughs> middle name and then I would have been Timothy Michael Knight O'Sullivan. And I could have done that for free. And it was just meant putting five letters on a form. Tim wakes and up at midnight and goes, wait a minute. <laughs> but it's like, too late. Out of bed. <laughs> and I can't. Well, I could do it now, but I mean. Going through the the, the hassle. It's like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of work for something that would enter. It would entertain me a lot, but it's a lot of work, really. And your HR department would have to update all your stuff, and we don't want to do that. So, <laughs> well, there we are. I don't, I don't want to your come. legal middle name would change, so we'd have to do all the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyhow, that was a thought I had, and I didn't actually do it. But That's if funny. I'd have thought if I'd have thought of it a number of years ago, I may have done that. <laughs> I just imagine like you at 3 a.m. coming out of like deep sleep and yelling that out loud. And it's like, what? <laughs> I could have been Timothy Michael <laughs> Knight. Like, what? <laughs> she just see her have a heart attack and fall out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. Okay. What's the next album? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're moving away from Teenage Dream and we're moving on to Prism. Now, Prism came out in 2013. And this was a move away from the kind of classic. Well, we we started off with one of the boys, which was kind of a band rock type sound. Teenage Dream was more of a classic of the era pop sound. And in Prism of 2013, she was more embracing a kind of more of a dance EDM type Mm -hmm. thing. And it must be said that this this album, I'd say this is where Katie lost me a bit. But I didn't feel the same connection to her music in Prism. I like a lot of the tracks on Prism, but the, she, I think she went further in this direction in albums after the facts. And as I said, the albums beyond this 
outside of hearing a few tracks I'm not super familiar with. Well, if I'm being honest with you, I actually don't care for Dark Horse. I never cared for Dark Horse, and that's probably what the biggest hit off of this album. Yeah, the Dark Dark Horse does have a great video. It does, and it has a great sound. It's, it kind of grew on me, but it was never one that I was that into. Like I wouldn't have went out of my way to listen to Dark Horse. Now, the interesting thing about Dark Horse as well, I think it was maybe Gangnam Style beat her to it, but it was the first one of the first videos to hit one billion views mm-hmm. on YouTube. And, you know, regardless of whether you like the song or whether you like Katy Perry, to have a piece of art that you're involved with watched a billion times. Well, in the Egypt kind of thing that they were going for, because she's obviously Cleopatra, like that play is pretty cool. And like, you know, it's talking about a dark horse, like I get it. Like it, it goes with the song, but it's also cool to watch. Um, and I just remember, you know, she's got the big eye thing over her and she's dressed as what I'm assuming is she's supposed to be Cleopatra. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they, they bring her an offering of those, um, Cheetos, the, the the super red hot Cheetos, like a big bowl Flaming of those, because apparently yeah. she likes those. And <laughs> if you look closely in the video, I think some of the Egyptian people standing around, one of them is wearing a WWF championship belt, and it's not <laughs> it's not like one of the proper repro ones that you can buy now that are just like the ones they have in the wrestlers yeah. have. It's like a Walmart grade plastic WWF <laughs> belt and it's, and it's upside down. So obviously you can't tell that's what it is, but that's exactly what it that's is. That's exactly what it is. Cause she's got like those half cat, half people things around her at one point. I remember that. Yeah. Well, she does have a cat called, uh, I think it's, um, cat, I think it's Catty Puri or something like that. <laughs> Catty Puri. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and there was and there was some controversy with this video because I think something she was wearing around her neck was written in Arabic. Mm. And, and, and some folks found whatever it was in bad taste or something like that, it, whatever it said was not wasn't deemed appropriate. So they had to go. They had to go in digitally and erase it or make it say something else or, you know, put a different logo on it. Hmm. And then Dark Horse is the one that she got. The guy tried to claim copyright of right? the song. I think so, yeah. Some random guy. I think he was thrown out and nobody is like, here's just some random dude on YouTube that like, what are the chances of Katy Perry ever knowing who this guy was type situation? Exactly. I I think it was an opportunist hoping for an out-of-court settlement. Well, to be fair, I'm pretty sure it just got thrown out by the judge. Because it made no sense. But mind you, there's there's been some court cases like that, that blurred lines. Hmm. I, I, I mean, I didn't. I, I that and the Marvin Gaye song, they're, they're vaguely similar, but I, I didn't. I didn't hear that. Okay, here's. I did not hear it until someone pointed it out to me because it's never gonna give up or whatever. That's the song. The mm-hmm. and that and I know what they're talking about. They're talking about that beat, right? That kind of, but that structural beat. I could find ten other songs that have that same kind of. You know what I mean? That same tempo. So for me, I'm like, that's like half the upbeat kind of pop sound. I don't know. I didn't get that one either. Not even a little bit. It's not like My Sweet Lord versus the, what was it? The Martha and the Vandrell song or whatever. It's like, you're so fine. You're so fine. Yes, that's what it was. But that's pretty obvious. Like it's blunt, right? And then there's that Mm -hmm. one with Bittersweet Symphony. That's really obvious. I can't remember which song that was. Um. And then, but but for the, yeah, I'm with you. I'd, and the Marvin Gaye family, I hate to say this. I'm very sorry, but I'm going to say they seem to be very money hungry ever since he passed. There's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. yeah, I I think we we spoke of before about uh, um, Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry, where it had a vanity writing credit of somebody who was running a soup kitchen. To be be completely fair to it, the guy who uh, has a co-writing credit on it didn't write the song at all. Bob Marley put a a vanity writing credit on because he wanted to make sure this soup kitchen in Jamaica or wherever it was, was funded. So he figured this is going to be a big hit. This guy's going to get royalties and the soup kitchen is going to get money. Yeah. And... And then, like, the uh, Marley family, many years after the fact, worked to undo that arrangement because, you know, they just saw it as a cash grab, which is really sad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I And I don't know all the ins and outs of that. But there was, like, if you go back and look at some of the court procedures and different things that happened after Marvin Gaye passed, some of it seemed very money-hungry. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of people who say that that song, or, and I hear it. If you play them side by side, I do hear it. 
But my problem is, is it's too close to too many other songs for me to make that, def- you know, that kind of deviation of like this is the deviation that this is the one that they copied. It's just too similar of a beat, especially when you get back to some of that old Motown sound type stuff. Exactly. I don't hear it either. Anyhow, I'm, I've got a couple more songs from our friend uh, Catherine Hudson. So well, let's, let's just <laughs> let's just let's just wrap up with Prism. As I said, the, my my this is a moderate dive into the work of Katy Perry. Anything past Prism, I'm not super familiar with. If I'm being completely honest with you, but th- this is my concession to to uh, contemporary <laughs> pop music. <laughs> this is where Tim stands. All right, what's next? Exactly. Well, we spoke about Raw, and I was going to go on to say that it was from the Super Bowl halftime uh, show, <laughs> and I ruined it. <laughs> no, it's fine. But also. So again, this one has a fabulous video. Yeah, it does. Actually, that's one of her things she does well is her music videos. They're all very distinct. Yeah, because this one, she's in the jungle and it's a whole and there's like um, elephants and all kinds of uh, animals. It's all going on. Well, I mean, it is a song about roaring. So exactly. And the line that she comes in on the Super Bowl halftime show is an amazing prop. And apparently it was mm-hmm. built by a stage production company who makes all the props for Cirque du Soleil. Oh, that makes sense, though. I see how that would kind of, because that would translate well in like a stadium type environment, too. Yeah, because um, if you look great, because when you see it on TV, if you're not looking too hard, it looks like the, the, the lion is sort of moving its way into the stadium. But if mm-hmm. you look super close and having seen the behind the scenes type thing, there are people black, dressed in black suits, moving the legs. Oh, but it, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very cleverly done. And it is like, I, I wonder where that prop is because it's huge. And they have to store it somewhere. Well, it's kind of like whenever you see the Lion King on Broadway, mm-hmm. everything's done in like a puppet type thing. So like Zazu, the bird is like a pup is a puppeteer controlling him. And then the kids, the lions aren't puppets, but a lot of the other characters are. And there's the part where I'm assuming you've watched the Lion King, Tim. Please tell me you've watched the Lion King. I have never seen the Lion oh, King. Oh, <laughs> well, spoiler for Tim. That is... We're going to have to do some homework at some point. Um, there's a part where the um, the, the baby lions, um, well, he's going to be king, but, you know, the little lion's dad gets killed and mm-hmm. he gets stamped. They do like a stampede on him on the Broadway show. It's like it's like a big box almost. And like it, there's something underneath it. It's people underneath it. And it's the same things going over and over and over like a wheel kind of mechanism to make the stampede. But there's people underneath it. Like they do some of that kind of thing in the Lion King on Broadway. Oh, OK. So that kind of idea that you had, it's that's done on stage shows a lot, too. I saw Aladdin at the cinema. Does that count for anything? Yeah. I'll give you a half point for now. I do like the lap. <laughs> Have you ever watched Mulan? No. <laughs> that one has the best music, though, Tim. If you watch any of them, go watch Mulan. It's funny, and it has the best music. Okay. There's my advice. If you're going to watch one of them, watch Mulan. He's not going to watch any of them. But if he does, watch <laughs> Mulan. I might need to watch Smokey and the Bandit again. I mean, where am I going to have time to do that? Oh, Lord. Ask, ask Hannah, which is her favorite. And I'll, I'll be curious to see if she says Mulan. Report back on your findings. She, she likes the one that has Jermaine from um, Flight of the Concords in it. I don't know who. That's how you define the show. I don't know who Jermaine from Flight of the Concords is. <laughs> Jermaine? Um... I, mean, I know. I kind of vaguely remember it. What, what, what was what was the Disney film that we was going to show an aborted showing at our work that no one turned up to? Um, Moana. Yes, that one. That's the one that she likes. Okay. <laughs> we're not getting into those times. Those were rough times. All right. What about Katy Perry? Too? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close this moderate, vague dive into the world of <laughs> Katy Perry with with a song from Prison, which is Birthday. And I tell you why this is a good song. This is a pretty good song. And it was probably written because they figured that every time any anyone any kid had a birthday, they would play this this birthday song. But I have the Prism World Tour video of this. Mm-hmm. Of this, they, they, they released a concert, a Blu-ray DVD type thing, and I have that. And they, it's, I think it was actually filmed in Australia, if I remember correctly. And they pull a kid out of the audience who said it was their birthday, 
And Katy mm-hmm. Perry blew this kid's mind by bringing him on stage and putting him in a birthday seat and gave them a pizza. And it was a whole it was a whole thing. I just thought it was a very nice touch. And then, of course, she then sings the birthday song to the kid that they pull up. You know, I like this song. I know it very well. I could even hear her little cute little birthday in the, you know, the chorus or whatever. But you don't know that they're not actually talking about a birthday, right? No, of course. I know that. <laughs> That's kind of weird. <laughs> if you're the kid's parents and she's singing the happy birthday song to him. I'm like, while it's cute and I like the song, and like if you just play like the chorus, it's fine. But the whole song's technically not about a birthday. <laughs> no, I, 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 abso- absolutely. <laughs> but the, the little kid they pull out the audience who she spoils on stage, it doesn't, doesn't read all the things into that. <laughs> It's kind of like the song Peacock a few albums back was not about a peacock. No. <laughs> I love the song Peacock, though. Spoiler alert. I used to listen to that one all the time when I had that album. There we go. It's fun. It was a fun <laughs> song, but it wasn't technically about a peacock. There we go. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where we're going to leave uh, this moderate dive into the world of Katy Perry. Before we wrap up, I'd just like to remind everyone that we are, we have a bonus episode, which we're dropping on Christmas Eve, which is a little extra treat for all you uh, No Name Musicast fans out there. We had a lot of fun putting that together. So that will be in your feed on Christmas Eve. And I think that's about it. What do you say, Joy? I think that's it. Bye. See you later. Bye bye. To buy me out for another day to